For our guests, we're uh, in a series called Follow Me, and it's a series through the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 32 today. And you might be wondering why we're both up here, and the reality is we're not going to have both of us preach the message. Actually, Christo's going to preach the message here this morning. That's right. And for those of you who don't know Christo, he is our youth director, and he just does a great job. And he came to Saving Faith through a relationship uh, that was really started with Chris and Nancy Rogers. And so for many years, Christo has just continued to grow here. Chris and Nancy, thank you for your investment in the Christo. And Christo, my friend, we are excited to hear you preach Christ to us this morning. So let's welcome Christo. Good morning. Thank you so much. I'm excited. But before we jump and uh, we read the text this morning, I want to share with you an experience that perhaps many of you can relate to. I remember a few years ago when I bought my first iPhone, I was so excited the first night I stayed late into the night just downloading all the different applications, figuring out all the different features. But what happened is over a period of time that excitement began to wane off. In the same way, we can have that experience when it comes to our faith. In the beginning of our walk with the Lord, we can be excited and eager, but over the period of time, the excitement begins to fade as we get so used to the story of the cross. But the, the text in front of us today is inviting us to look at the cross and to marvel at the extent of Jesus' suffering and sacrifice. And so open your Bibles to Mark 15, verse 6, and Rachel, who is part of our youth ministry, is going to read the text for us this morning. Mark 15, verses 6 through 32. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief of priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate, asked, or Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, 
save yourself, and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, as we read your word, and as we look at the cross, Father, we ask one simple thing this morning, that your son Jesus will be exalted. So Lord, help us to look at the cross and to marvel at your son. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we look into this text, I think it's important that we take a moment to do a brief overview of the gospel of Mark. Mark begins his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, saying that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one. It's the anointed Messiah who was prophesied, who will come to bring deliverance and to establish a kingdom, and of this kingdom there will be no end. And when Jesus begins his ministry, his public ministry, he goes from town to town proclaiming and saying, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And why does he say that? Well, because Jesus is the king and he is right there. And so Mark chapter 1 to chapter, uh, to chapter 8, Mark wants to reveal to us Jesus' identity, who he is. And he shows us how he exercises dominion over the demonic, how he heals the sick, how he rules over nature, and his dominion and authority even over death itself. And so everything builds up to chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God's anointed king. And then Jesus turns and he tells him that he is going to suffer, that he is going to be rejected, and that he is going to be killed. And it was difficult for Peter and for the rest of the disciples and everybody else to just comprehend what Jesus was talking about. And so Mark takes chapters 9 all the, to the end of the gospel to reveal to us also how Jesus is going to fulfill his mission. And it makes it clear that Jesus is going to suffer for our salvation. And so last week, Mark preached, he said that Jesus was delivered to the Jewish authorities and they rejected his claim as a king. But they didn't have the power to kill him. So they turned him over to Rome and basically said something along the lines, listen, this man claims to be a king and therefore he is a threat to the Roman Empire. So they deliver him to Pilate. And that's where we're going to pick up today. And so the first point this morning is that Jesus is the suffering king. And we're going to see Jesus suffering three different sins. So let's look at the first scene. Jesus is the suffering king who is rejected in verses 6 to 15. So Pilate finds himself in an interesting situation. On one hand, he knows that Jesus is innocent. He says in verse 10 that he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Later, in verse 14, he says, what evil, the evil is that he has done? There is no answer. 
Jesus is innocent. And so Mark tells us that during the first in verse 6, he used to release for them a prisoner, one whom they asked. And Mark introduces also Barabbas, a notorious criminal who is known to be a prisoner, to be a rebel, to be an insurrectionist, and to be a murderer. So if you're Pilate, you think, well, that's a pretty easy decision. Who should they choose to release? The innocent Jesus or this notorious criminal? But in verse 11, the chief priests and the scribes, they steer the crowd and they ask that Pilate release for them the criminal Barabbas. And what is Pilate to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. And pause here for a second and consider. Jesus is the person who's been going from town to town, showing mercy and compassion, healing the sick, feeding the hungry. And what do they want to do with Jesus? They want him crucified. And this criminal, they want him to go free. Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowds. Verse 15 tells us, although he knew that Jesus was innocent, he gives in and he said, he delivers Jesus to be crucified. But only, first, Jesus has to be scourged. And that's part of the crucifixion process. And so, scourging, describing a little bit what that looked like, so the Roman soldiers, they would use a whip with multiple leather thongs embedded with pieces of metal and, or with bones, and they will, they will just go at Jesus, and that will cut deep into his body and cause immense suffering and bleeding. And so before we move too fast into this story, let's slow down and consider for a second that Jesus, he is innocent. I want to ask you, have you ever been, have you ever experienced something like that? Were you accused for something that you didn't do? Can you imagine what that will look like and what that will feel? The rejection that Jesus is experiencing in this sin. Imagine that you go to work tomorrow and you are fired. Not for any wrongdoing, but because someone in the office envies you. Imagine that you wake up on Tuesday and you're arrested and you're sentenced to die. But you haven't done anything wrong. Jesus is the suffering king who is rejected. And in this, even in this incident, Mark continues to also show us that Jesus is going to fulfill his mission by having to suffer and to sacrifice for us. Because the innocent Jesus will have to trade places with a guilty Barabbas. And so Jesus is the suffering king who is rejected, sin too. Jesus is the suffering king who is mocked. Look with me in verses 16 to 20. And so the soldiers come, they take him to the governor's quarters, and they call together a whole battalion. Now as I've been meditating on this text, this is... The one place that if it was me, that's where I would break down. Can you imagine that you're innocent, you've been sentenced to death, 
and a whole battalion of Roman soldiers come against you, how intimidating that will be. The Roman soldiers are known to be cruel and merciless, and they come against Jesus. And in verse 17, we see that they put a purple clock on him and a crown of thorns. And of course, those are symbols associated with the king, but they don't recognize Jesus as king. This is an attempt to humiliate him. They're doing this sarcastically. An entire battalion comes together to mock Jesus and they begin to salute him and say, Hail to the king of the Jews. Do you claim to be the king of the Jews, Jesus? Well, this is what we're going to do to you. We're going to completely humiliate you. And they were striking his head with the reed and they were spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And they were, when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. They put on his clothes and led him out to crucify him. This is a whole battalion. Nothing restrains them from abusing Jesus verbally and physically. And striking him and hitting him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Do you see what Jesus had to suffer? Can you imagine someone spitting on you? And doing all those things to you while you're innocent? Do you see in this text how Jesus has to suffer? How much he suffers? But now let's move to the third scene. Jesus, the suffering king who is crucified. And verse 21 gives us an insight to understand how much Jesus has already suffered. You see, part of the crucifixion process, you'll have to carry the cross to a final destination. But behold, Jesus has suffered so much already that he stumbles under the weight of the cross. And the Roman soldiers see this and they compel a passerby to carry the cross for Jesus. And they take him to the place called Golgotha. It was outside of the walls in Jerusalem. And it was supposed to be by the road and to be visible to everyone because that was the way Rome would send a clear message to everyone. We have dominion over the land and over these people. Verse 23 says that they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but Jesus did not take it. Now this is believed to be a medicine to ease the pain, like a painkiller. But Jesus refuses to take it. Because Jesus will suffer and he doesn't want to cut corners. He, will, he knows that he has to be a suffering king. In verse 24, they crucified him and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And so at this point, in these two short verses, our long-awaited king is crucified. He is nailed to the cross. Now Mark doesn't go in a lot of detail about the process of crucifixion and the cross because the original audience would have clearly understood what the cross represents. But in 21st century America, the cross is a is a sacred symbol of our faith. 
I mean, we see the cross printed on shirts, on necklaces, on earrings. Maybe there is a cross hanging somewhere in the walls of your house. And even the cross behind me. But during the time of Jesus, the cross represented something completely different. The cross was an instrument of terror. The cross was an instrument of death, of shame, of torture. The, the cross was an instrument of pain, shame, and fear. It was everything to be afraid of and nothing to be proud of. It was barbaric and it was humiliating and excruciating and shameful death. Matter of fact, the cross was so dehumanizing and so degrading that under no circumstances any Roman citizens will be crucified. But they have no regards for Jesus. They crucify him, they take his hands, they nail him to the cross. And there he will stand exposed. And what is his crime? Verse 26 tells us. He is the king of the Jews. That's his crime. This is the innocent Jesus. Here is the innocent king who is suffering and shameful and painful death. A death that was meant for criminals. He is innocent, but he has to suffer. And you will think that after all that Jesus has suffered and endured, that he'll get some pity. I always think that even if he was guilty, he deserves some compassion, right? But no. Those who passed by, they derided him. The chief priests and the scribes, they mock him as he hangs on the cross. Save yourself. Save yourself, Jesus. You saved others. Come now, save yourself. Are they right about something? Jesus did save others. And he could come down from the cross. But Jesus will stay on the cross because that's exactly what he's going to do, to save others. Save yourself, Jesus. Come down from the cross. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Now, what do they want to see to believe? Because in Mark, in previous chapters, a lot of times... The religious leaders, they did see Jesus perform a lot of miracles. But actually, if you go back, it was most often after he performed miracles that they will want to kill him, that they want to destroy him. So what is it that they want to see to believe? You see, here lies the problem. They wanted a king who will come down from the cross to defy the Roman authorities. They wanted a political and military leader to overthrow the Roman Empire. That is the only power that these men know. The power to use your power over someone, they don't understand the power of Jesus' sacrifice. The text reminds us that King Jesus is not going to bring our salvation through military and political victory but through his suffering. And verse 32, even those who were crucified with him also reviled him. I mean, can you imagine? These guys are experiencing a shameful and excruciating death themselves. And they will use the dying moments of their lives 
to revile Jesus, who is innocent. And so in those three scenes, we see the extent to which Jesus had to suffer. Jesus is a suffering king who was rejected and sentenced to death, although he was innocent. Jesus is a suffering king who is mocked. He is the suffering king who is crucified and humiliated and sentenced to die an excruciating death. But in these three scenes, there is unique, tragic irony. You see, in the first scene, Pilate refers to Jesus as the king of the Jews. The Roman soldiers, they refer to Jesus as the king of the Jews. And in the third scene, the inscription reads the king of the Jews, and the scribes refer to him as king of the Jews. Now, all this is meant to humiliate him and to mock him. But the truth is that Jesus is actually, in all reality, he is the king of the Jews. And not of the Jews only, but of the whole world. But they cannot understand. And Jesus is the suffering king, but also he is our sacrificial king. In Mark 15, 6 to 32, we see Jesus as a sacrifice through his crucifixion, willing to endure the immense suffering and humiliation and willingly sacrificing himself for our sake. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was not an accident. It was a divine appointment ordained by God and prophesied by Scripture. It is as it says in Isaiah 53, 10, the will of the Lord, it was the will of the Lord to cross him. So note, in Mark 15, 23, we read that they offered him wine mixed with mirth. Well, that was prophesied in Psalm 69, 21. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Mark tells us in verse 24 that they crucified him. Psalm 22, 16, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 24, and they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see, Psalm 22, among other passages, foreshadows Jesus' sacrificial suffering on the cross. Jesus is a sacrificial king who will suffer for his people. But the depth of Jesus' sacrifice reveals to us also the depths of our human depravity and rebellion against God. Because the truth is, this is not the world that God created. Genesis 1 and 2 says that when God created the world, he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. When God created the world, there was no injustice. There was no envy. There was no humiliation and mockery. There was no crucifixion, there was no suffering, and there was no death. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God's kingdom. They rebelled against God the king over their lives. They wanted to be king over their own lives. And this rebellion started in Genesis 3. A rebellion against God. And through that rebellion, sin and death entered into the world. And this rebellion continues to this day that Jesus is crucified. But continues to this day today. You see, every time that we fail to love God with all our heart and mind, in effect, we join the rebellion of Adam and Eve. 
When we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves, we join that same rebellion. When we fail to keep his commandments. We join with those who rejected and crucified Jesus. And this sin separates us from God. And so this is a sobering and, and difficult passage. There is injustice. There is suffering. But the real question this morning is, can we look in our text today and see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus? Can we look at the familiar cross and see the glory and majesty of Christ? Can we look in the midst of injustice and violence and see the glory and majesty of our Savior? Yes, we can. You know why? Because Jesus first willingly went on the cross. Look at the cross. Jesus is giving himself. You see, when, when they gathered and they sentenced him to death, Jesus doesn't say, I will oppose you. I won't oppose you when you sentence me to death. I won't oppose you when you abuse me physically and verbally. I won't oppose you as you take my hand and nail it to the cross. And as you take the other hand and nail it to the cross, I won't oppose you. As you mock me, I won't oppose you. You see, Jesus voluntarily gave himself to the cross. He went there to be a sacrifice. And Jesus told his disciples on multiple occasions that he must be rejected, that he will be condemned, that he will suffer and that he will go, he's going to be killed. He knew what was going to happen to him and he did it anyway. You see the majesty and glory of Jesus who is willing to go to the cross to be a sacrifice for us. And so Jesus was willing to go and endure the rejection and the mockery and the cross and suffer for our sake. But also look at why he's hanging on the cross. The passerby, they deride him. The chief priests, they mock him. Even those who are crucified with him Revile him. Why won't Jesus use his power to come down from the cross? Where Jesus, our king, had to endure and take all that indignation and humiliation from all those people. And he did not lash out against them. He was willing to suffer. He restrained himself from coming down from the cross. And 1 Peter 2, verses 21 to 24, shed some light into this passage. He said, 1 Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow his steps. He committed no sin. We've seen in our text that he is innocent. Neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued to entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree 
that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed just as Isaiah predicted. He did not revile. He did not oppose. He was willing to suffer and to be a sacrifice for us. I'm innocent. I'm the king of the kings, but I'm not going to threaten you. I'm not going to oppose you. I'm going to suffer and die. There is glory in his willingness to go on the cross and stay on the cross. And in doing so, he is the perfect sacrificial lamb without blemish. Isaiah 53, 7 reads, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus permeates every sin in this text. But he does not open his mouth once. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He is God's sacrificial lamb who suddenly goes to die, who goes to suffer. And I hope that we can look at that and see the majesty of Christ and that we're called to imitate him. And when he tells us, follow us, when Peter tells us to follow his example, we can never say to Jesus that you don't know what they say about me. You don't know how they mock me for my faith. You don't know that I'm excluded and not invited because of my faith. And Jesus says, oh no, I do know. Do you see how much he suffered and how much he was willing to sacrifice himself for us? Peter wants us to imitate Jesus and to follow his steps. And so the question is, do you see Christ crucified this morning? Do you see something that you've never seen before on the cross? Because the man who is crucified on the cross, he is your only hope for life and for salvation. You see, the death that he died, it was not for his own sin. He was bearing our sins in his body that we might have salvation. Go to him today and say, Lord, I see your glory. I see your majesty. I see your love for me that you were willing to go on the cross and to stay there for a sinner like me. I see your glory that you restrain yourself and that you will not sin so that you might be my perfect savior. That is who Christ is. A suffering, sacrificial king who brings us salvation. And so the reality is that the way of the Lord brings shame to the ways of the world. In verse 12, Pilate asks this question. He says, what shall we do with these men? And that's a question that everyone needs to answer. And the way that you answer this question determines your destiny. But we need eyes to see. Because there's nothing in this text that appeals to human wisdom. There's nothing that appeals to our human desire for greatness. There's nothing here to make the passerby think that there is anything worth following in, this, in Christ hanging on the cross. There's nothing that makes the religious leaders think that Jesus is someone they should be serving. And that's exactly what Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 18. He says, to those who are perishing, the cross is folly. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And it is God's power because Jesus is going to die on the cross and he's going to be raised to life and he will demonstrate the power that he has over sin and death. Look at the love that the Lord has for the very people who nailed him to the cross. So, if you're here this morning and you think that there is some sin that Jesus is not willing to die. If you think that there is some sin that does not deserve Jesus' sacrifice and his suffering. In part, that's true. He shouldn't have to suffer and to sacrifice himself. But take hope, take courage to see that Jesus was willing to suffer and to sacrifice himself for the very people who reject him, for the very people who mocked him, for the very people who crucified him. And he does the same for you. No matter what sins we have committed, Jesus says on the cross, I was willing to sacrifice myself for you. I was willing to suffer for your sake. And so I want us to look at the cross and to look at this text and see that Jesus is willing to suffer and to sacrifice himself for our sins. That is the power of God, that he will lay down his life for our sake. Let's look at the cross and consider the extent of which King Jesus suffered and the depth of his sacrifice. Let us never take for granted the cross. Let us never get so used to the story of the cross that we, we begin to forget and undermine and underestimate how he suffered and how he sacrificed himself for you and for me and for all of us. Because it wasn't the priest who delivered Jesus to the cross. It wasn't Pilate who delivered Jesus to the cross. Jesus went on his, to the cross on his own, willingly to suffer and to sacrifice himself for us. This is the king that we're called to worship and to follow. Do you see on the cross the king who sacrificed himself and who suffered for you? Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this text and we see Jesus being rejected and mocked and crucified. As we see the injustice that he suffered, Lord, our hearts might feel heavy. It's a sobering text. But Lord, help us to see on the cross the glory and the majesty of your son. Lord, help us to look at the cross and never take the cross for granted. Lord, help us to look at the cross and to glory on our Lord Jesus who sacrificed himself and who suffered for our sake. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to send your son to be crucified. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to trade places with us. 
Lord, for the rest of our lives, help us to continue to experience your grace and your mercy and your love and to look at the cross and to find hope and to strengthen our faith. And help us to imitate you and to walk with you for the rest of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.